Let's pick up chapter 15, verse 1. Then the scribes and the Pharisees <laughs> who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus. Now that's a hall because they're all the way up in Jerusalem. We go there November 6th to the 16th. They've got over 50 people coming. You'll see how long of a distance that is. They travel to go shut him down. So the scribes and the Pharisees travel from Jerusalem. They came to Jesus and they said to him, why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So 15,000 people just got fed. They didn't wash their hands according to the traditions of the elders. I'll explain that momentarily. Jesus answered and said to them by asking them a question, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded saying, honor your father and your mother. Which commandment is that? Fifth, one person knows. <laughs> oh my gosh. Fifth commandment. They've been coming to the Wednesday night study. There you go. Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. That's Deuteronomy 21. We'll cover that too, so some of you younger kids better pay attention. Uh, where were we? Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. Verse 5, but you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you may have received from me is a gift to God. And in, and in Mark, it's called Corbin. It means it's dedicated to the Lord. I can't give you anything, mom and dad. I dedicated it to the Lord. It's kind of occupied. It's in my 401k. I don't have access to it right now. Now you get it. Okay. Uh, okay. Whatever profit you may have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect. Everyone say no effect. You've made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. And then he adds a really cool word with an exclamation point. You can interpret it any way you want. I think he kind of just said hypocrites. That's how I think he said it. Hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me and in vain. They worship me teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, so he calls all these people just been healed and been fed. He calls them to himself and he said to them, hear and understand not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, the fish or the bread you ate that doesn't defile you, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, do you just realize what you did? You have irritated the Pharisees. You've offended them. It's like they're scared of the Pharisees. He says, do you, they say, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But Jesus answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. Well, here's one problem. It's not a parable. <laughs> I love Peter. Verse 16, Jesus responds. He says, are you still without understanding? Hello, McFly. Verse 17, do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then into the toilet? Eliminated. You got that? I did say toilet. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. We'll cover it. Let's pray. Lord, your word says that if any man lacks wisdom, you say this in James, if any man lacks wisdom, all he need but do is ask of you and you'll give freely to him who asks. So I ask, Lord, for wisdom right now, that man would decrease, your spirit might increase, 
that Holy Spirit, you'd lead us into all truth and that you would minister to our hearts and transform our lives. Cause us to come alive to your living word. We, we honor it. And Lord, I long to rightly divide it and to honor you and to glorify you. So Lord, we pray that you would bring wisdom, discernment, insight, truth, and transformation according to your riches in Christ. We invite you now and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat. So the scribes and the Pharisees travel at great expense of themselves, great effort, all the way down from Jerusalem to the shores of Galilee, and they come to confront Jesus because the renown of Jesus has spread throughout all the land. 15,000 people have been fed. They've told probably a number of other people. They witnessed it. They saw the disciples leaving with 12 baskets of leftovers. They're stunned. They're blown away. And everyone wants to come. And then they heard about the healing, and it's just out of control and crazy. And so as they're all gathering around the Lord and all these people are gathering, the Pharisees who have authority in the community and they wear the certain outfits, and as they start to walk in, it's like the room parts and the, and the Pharisees and the scribes get a front row. Scribes are attorneys, Pharisees are these religious leaders, they all deal with the civic law, and they walk to the very front of the crowd and everyone gets out of their way and they carry this mantle of authority. And they walk up right into the, to the earshot of Jesus where he can hear them, and they come to Jesus... And in front of all of these people who've just been fed, 15,000 people being fed in the wilderness with five loaves, two fishes, grips of them have been healed. Instead of looking at the miracle and the wonder of it all and the people who have been blessed, they start to criticize Jesus because they say here in verse 2, why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. All 15,000 of these people, your disciples were supposed to set an example, and they didn't. And all these people defiled themselves because of your example. Now, the traditions of men, it's very interesting. We have the commandments of God. We have the first five books of Moses. And, and in that, there's, there's commandments, and those commandments are valid, and they're very important, and the Ten Commandments are very important. But what they're speaking of is what we call the Midrash and the Mishnah, and, and these are traditions, these are extra writings in addition to, so this is what the law says, but this is some of the things we want to add to make sure we never even get to the violation, that we're going to add all these extra things so we don't even get close to this. And so they're washing. Now it says in the New Testament, Leviticus, that they were supposed to, the, the priests were to wash their hands. They had the, the basin and they were supposed to wash their hands. But they added all kinds, there was over 18 issues in, in regards to washing your hands. And, and most rabbis held to, to three important ones. Some had four. I don't know what the fourth is. I know what the first three were. And, and with the, the Midrash, which was extra writings on top of, and these were traditions of men on how not to ever even get close to violating these laws, and the Mishnah, then they put together um, the Talmud. And the Talmud was the combination of all three of these writings and these oral traditions, and they put it into 22 volumes. It was Rabbi Judah Prince who put it into 22 volumes of like almost 600 books. So they're just voluminous writings, and it was, there, was all, there was almost 70 pages just dealing with hand-washing itself. And when we go to Israel, if we get there on the Shabbat or you go into a, a, an Orthodox home, you're going to see there a cup right by the sink, and you run the water, and you take the cup, and, and you, you, go, yeah, you go like this first, and you pour the cup of water over your hand, and then you pour it over this hand, and then it drips down, and then you put your hands down, and you pour it this way so that the dirt that collected here pushes down this way, and the dirt, and it goes down this way, and then you put your hands this way, and you pour it, and then it drops out that way, and drops that way, and you've washed. And there's a fourth one. I don't know what it is, but I've seen the first three. And the cup is a specific size because in their writings, in these oral traditions of men, they said you can't use more water than an egg and a half. 
Yeah. I didn't add it to that. And then the traditions that they would add to it, they would be so serious that to violate the washing traditions that are encompassed in this, this, this Talmud, uh, they, some rabbis say this is in violation of death itself. And they come out and they, they're, they're not even moved by the 15,000 people who are fed. They're not even moved by the fact that people's lives are being transformed. They're not moved by the teachings of Christ. They're not moved by the freedom that the people are experiencing. They're not moved by the healings that were just witnessed. None of that moves and they're like, you have violated the traditions of man. And they're irritated. And, you know, if you want to put it in today's vernacular, let's, let's look at this. There's, there's orthodoxy and there's certain what we call non-negotiable tenets of the Christian faith. The deity of Christ, the Trinity, uh, the inerrancy of Scripture. These are basic tenets, non-negotiables of the Christian faith. But we add to that and we push it into making it orthodoxy. And we say that this has to, you know, if you don't follow this, you are out of the will of God. You are, let's think of it. What version of the Bible do you read? And the body of Christ is divided. Well, I only use the, the Masoretic text. I only use the Alexandrian text. I believe in the NASB. Well, I'm only King James, King James only. Well, I only use the Geneva Bible. I don't use the King James Bible. Well, I knew the new King James Version. Well, the new King James Version is not the King James. And that is not acceptable in the traditions of what we follow. You know what the best version of the Bible is? Exactly. I've been here a while. In case you didn't hear that, the best version of the Bible is the one you read, with the exception of the New World Translation, which is Jehovah's Witnesses. They do remove some things that are very important, and they didn't have any reason to do that. Well, they did, but it wasn't biblical or godly or wherever we were. So, yeah, I teach out the New King James Version. I like it. I, I like the language of it. I would like to actually teach out the King James, but I would spend most of my time describing to you words that we no longer use in our vernacular, and I, I think the King James is resplendent. I, it's beautiful. But we can divide and make it a, a, a divisive issue over what Bible you read. Here's this. Do you believe in prophecy? If so, what position are you following for the end times? End times means your eschatology. What, what you believe will happen in the end times. Are you pre-trib, post-trib, amillennial, pre-millennial, post-millennial? And, and of, of the four basic camps of eschatology, there aren't any definitive writings that, that give a biblical, like, this is solid, you can't deviate from it. But we divide. I'll tell you what, you teach a post-trib study in a Calvary chapel, especially pastoral study, and you will be excommunicated. Not really, but they won't like it. And some of you are post-trib, some of you are pre-trib. And, and the reality is, it doesn't have any bearing on whether or not you're saved. Every eschatology comes with an asset and a liability. And they've all got their holes. I personally am pan-trib. It's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> Here's one that divides a church, traditions of men. Are you Republican or Democrat? Or independent, which seems to be the new hidden thing. Can you still be a Christian and be a Democrat? So you see, no, see, you're already, you're already, you already see what I'm talking about. And I got news for you. I, I took the Republican national committee to Israel. And if, and if being a Christian means you're a Republican, that was the rowdiest bunch. They were hard drinking, partying folks. I remember being, being in the Mount of Beatitudes the very first time I'm supposed to speak to them and they're all looking at their cell phones and they got a free trip to Israel as long as it was a spiritual trip and they had to listen to the pastor. And so the coordinator of the trip said, now it's time to all gather. We're going to hear from Pastor Rob. And they're like, oh, timeshare deal. And they all gather what? <laughs> and they did not want to hear from me. And it was, it's serious, it was an eclectic gathering. And, and how do you 
speak to him. God did it, but it was like, this is crazy. And if this is Christian and and you want to politicize it, they represent the platform. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. So, so these are, these are traditions of men that we, we tend to push into the body of Christ as non-negotiables. Do you homeschool? Do you send your kids to Christian school? Do you send your kids to public school? And you're going to divide over that one as to what is absolutely necessary and, and you're out of the will of God if you don't... I, I covered all the bases. My kids have been to private, public, and we've homeschooled them, so shut up. <laughs> are you a vegetarian or a meat eater? <laughs> all of it, yeah, what? I don't... <laughs> You know, and, and what are your dietary restrictions? Do you believe that we can eat pork, not eat pork? I personally think you cannot be a Christian and not eat bacon. I mean, it's, it's not, it's impossible. You can't be a Christian and not at least enjoy bacon. So I'm going to lose some members of the congregation. Think about it though. Pig is a perfect animal. You feed pig just straight gluten and it produces gluten-free bacon. I mean, that is a miraculous animal. You feed the pig broccoli or cauliflower or spinach, turns it into bacon. I get my vegetables through that process. So where was I? These issues define whether this person is spiritual or not. If you look at it that way, you're guilty of the same violation that these scribes and Pharisees were being accused of being guilty of by Jesus. The church is capable of that. I... That's how it is. That's how we are. And these folks come and they bypass all that Christ is doing because they're so stuck on these issues that are non-essentials and non-salvific. And they get stuck on them. Now, does it mean we don't talk about eschatology? Yeah, we do. Eschatology is very important. Our founders were post-trib. And and the idea is, how do you view history and the Christian's role in history? It it has a very big part in it. But but in, in regards to you know, non-negotiables of the Christian faith, that is not important. And so, so they come to him and they say, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat bread. Listen, if you've ever been to Los Robles Hospital, everywhere you go, there's a Purell dispenser. You put your hand under it so you don't even touch it. it goes, then you rub it real quick and get all that in there. And if I go in to visit somebody and you want to wash your hands, you got the little pedal there so you don't even touch anything. And you do that and you get the soap. And then you rub it and you don't even touch anything. Your hands are clean. And you can do the blow dry. And you don't touch anything. And now, and it's good because it stops germs. You come to my house, wash your hands, please. And during cold and flu season, I'm washing my hands a lot. And when I travel and I'm on a plane, I I wash them continually and, and I don't get sick that way. But this isn't an issue about cleanliness. This is an issue of how to wash your hands. No, 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 no. If you're going to use a Perel, it has to drop this way, and then it has to drop this way, and then you've got to have it drop this way, and then this way. And you can only use an egg and a half of Purell to drop. And it can't be Purell. It has to be water specifically from this well. And you're like, this is stupid. And 15,000 people got fed, and all you can say is, we didn't do it, your deal? And they, they accuse, and they, they're trying to get authority over the people by accusing Jesus' elders, or excuse me, his disciples, of not following the traditions of men. And everyone knew them because they enforced them with it. These are, these are the third rail. You can't touch these. These are, we're the elders. We carry authority. They said it. It's got to be true. Says who? God's word, no. 
your writings, your, your extra writings on top of that have nothing to do with God's word. So Jesus just cuts to the chase. He just goes right for the jugular. And he, he answers them with a question. He says, why do you also transgress the commandment of God? And you can hear a gasp, an audible gasp. <gasps> why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? I mean, the place was like, you're, you're, you're accusing the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. You don't understand. They have authority. And the, and the, the Pharisees, what are you? How dare you? Do you know who I am? Do you see the robe I wear? Do you see the size of the Bible I carry? King James only, by the way. <laughs> Do you see the three-piece suit and the tie that I have? I, uh, and they yeah. Why do you transgress the commandments of God? For the sake of your traditions. And he adds to it. He says, for God commanded, and he goes to the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. It'll go well with you. You'll live long on the land. He says, for God commanded, saying, honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you may have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God, and I had you repeat it, of no effect. By your traditions. You see, Jesus was referring to the fifth commandment. And if you look at this idea of honoring your mother and father, this was important to the Lord and still is. If we took a little study right now, we had everybody tell me the Ten Commandments, we'd struggle. One person said it's the fifth commandment. And how can we honor a law we don't know? First commandment, you have no other gods. You have no idols, says the Lord. The other idea is that you don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You, you keep the Sabbath day. The fifth is honor your father and mother. Don't commit murder. The, se- the seventh commandment is you don't commit adultery. You can go through these. Then you also go, do not steal. Do not bear false witness. And thou shall not covet. And of the ten commandments, only the tenth is a prohibition against the thought. The others are a prohibition against an action. And as we studied before, thou shalt not covet is far more than just wanting something. That guy's got a really cool house. I want a house like that. Wanting something can be constructive and destructive. Constructive in that, I like that house. I need to do what they did in order to get that kind of a house. And you work hard like they did. Destructive is where you get the word for covet, lachmod, in the Hebrew, which means I want it so much I'm going to take it from you. Well, we don't do that today. Oh, really? How about this? The rich people need to pay their fair share. From each according to his ability to each according to his need. Sounds kind of cool in class, but it doesn't fit the 10th and the 8th commandment. So you're telling me that I'm allowed to take from somebody who has something to give it to somebody who doesn't even though they earned it, I got to give it to them? Yes, yes. But that's a violation of the, yeah, but that's socialism. It seems really cool, but my question is, how many of you own a cell phone? Please raise your hand. I am shocked. Now, did anyone in the room, did anyone put a gun to your head to buy that cell phone? Could you raise your hand so we can laugh at you? You purchased it, yes? They're expensive, aren't they? But you purchased, some of you have it on a plan. That's really smart. <laughs> and, and the data and all that stuff, you're still doing that, right? Oh, and the apps, aren't those fun? They just, 
idiot devices. I can't talk to you. I'm in the middle of uh, getting these candy gems things. Seriously, go to my house. We sit at the couch, all in the family room. This is just called the phone room. If I want something done, I got to text my kids. Hey, can you look at me? You know? Hey, Dad. I didn't know you were here. My point is this. Somebody has figured out a way to give you a device that gives you access everywhere. And you went out with the money you earned and the job that you have to buy the phone that they made. And they made a profit and they're wealthy. So let me ask you this question. They pay their fair share. Does that mean we kill all the rich people and divide their money? But pastor, income inequality is what creates poverty. Let's repeat that one again. I'm sorry, what? Income inequality is what creates poverty. Oh, really? Well, the nations with the greatest income inequality will be the United States of America. And let's also put into that... Western Europe. I mean, we got, there's, I think there's 1,400 billionaires around the world and the lion's share of those are in the United States of America. That's income inequality. And, and Western Europe has the next highest income inequality and yet they have the least amount of poverty and nine out of every 10 Americans are above the global middle class range. Oh, okay. Oh, well, but let's look at the countries that do have income equality where the majority, the, the lion's share, the large majority of the people make the exact same amount, like North Korea and the Sudan. You see, when you create this ability to design and have the freedom to think and to create something that benefits somebody else, all of a sudden society flourishes and you have this motivation to say, I want to achieve what they did. Well, you can do it by doing this. And these are all applications of God's principles. But one of the reasons why you don't have the capital to start a business and the greater the risk, the greater the reward. I was talking with a brother in the Lord. I said, did you ever go through a struggling time? And, and the comment was, no, we just saved up. And when it came time to buy the business, we did. And I'm baffled by that. You saved enough to buy a business. Yes. I'm, I'm 52 years old. I've been married 27 years. This is the first time in the entirety of my adult life I've been debt free. I don't know a person, a penny on the face of the earth. And yet I'm talking to a person whose whole life has been that way. I'm like, who raised you? Because my parents were like. <laughs> and, 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 and as they save it, they have the ability to risk it. And then they create as they invest and they put it aside and they understand the concept of tithing. Tithing is putting God first and recognize that. Listen, if, if, if you, I, I don't care I do care if you tithe, but if you don't want to tithe here, go to another church. I don't need the money. I'd rather you go to another church and tithe than to stay here and not. Because it's, it's about your relationship with the Lord, where he's the first. And now you start to put things into perspective and his commandment is have no debt, but to love. Could you imagine the effectiveness of the body of Christ if we didn't run up debt? Oh, and by the way, debt is a violation of the 10th and the 8th commandment. You are stealing from your children's future. The United States of America, almost $20 trillion of debt. We have stolen from their future to pay for things now that we can't afford. That's what debt is. 
and you're a slave to the lender. And you're always reliant on someone else to get you out of the ditch. Remember the ditch? The Lord has given very clear examples of how we're to live our lives. He says, you don't lie. Could you imagine if we applied the Ten Commandments and, and everyone in the culture kept their word? All of the business law, civil laws that we just endlessly trying to protect, you know, agreements and contracts, and it's on a handshake because you, you have the trust of that person? There was a day and age where that could happen. You shake the hand, it was a done deal. Because the principles of the law were established in the culture of the people. We struggle with well, same-sex marriage. Well, okay, what about Christian marriage? One and two end in divorce. If we personally apply the law of God, this idea of autonomy, what we're filled with is what we're governed by, either leads to heteronomy, excuse me, theonomy or heteronomy. And what Jesus is pointing out here is he says, I want to talk to you about theonomy, the applied law of God in a culture. He says, you're bringing in the traditions of man. Traditions of man are what you want to do to avoid my commandments, to make your life more beneficial in what you think you should have. You want to maintain authority, so you add extra laws to negate what I'm calling the people to, so you can control them. And that leads to heteronomy, another of the same kind. That has nothing to do with me. The Lord says, I don't care about an egg and a half of water. I don't care which way your arms are. 15,000 people got fed. These guys worked their tails off. People were healed. And you're coming here to pick fly poop out of pepper and accuse me, the, the God who gave you the Ten Commandments, that I'm not honoring your traditions? Traditions. Traditions. Well, this is what Jesus says. You don't even honor your mother and your father. In our culture, we don't do that anymore. It used to be you had multiple generations living in a house. My, myself and my three siblings, when, when my mom had passed and my dad was in a home with Alzheimer's, the four of us got together and assisted him in his care. I was willing, and I said, Dad can come live with us. The other three, including my mother, said, we don't want to remove him. This is a place that he really likes. Fine. But he's welcome to come and live with us. And they, and they all agreed. And I, that's family. I said, okay, fine. But I remember when my dad got Alzheimer's, and, and he, he lost his thought, and, and, the, and he, he didn't know where he was. Uh, Coronado, it's a small island, and it's got, it's got a, you know, a grid pattern for the streets. You know, the, the alphabetical streets go this way, and the numbered streets go this way. It's simple. You can blindfold me. I was born and raised there. You can blindfold me, put me anywhere on the island, take the blindfold off me, and in a nanosecond, I'll know where I am. I have most of the houses memorized. And my dad didn't know where he was. And thus, he ended up losing his driver's license. And I, I was part of having to drive him around. I, I was appreciative of it. I was honoring him. And as I'm driving, my dad is, is you're going to want to turn right up here. <laughs> I know that. I've lived here my whole life. I, I can even tell you who lives at the corner where you want me to go right. And then when you turn right, you're going to want to go two, two blocks, and then you're going to take another left. And, and I would drive going, you know what? I want to honor you, Dad, and you don't have the authority or the ability to drive anymore, but you go ahead and give me directions. This isn't a have to, it's a get to. I want to bless you, Dad. You know, for most of us, it's like they wiped our bottoms when we were young, they fed us, they cleaned up after us, and the chance we get to serve them, it's like, yeah, 
can't we put them in a less expensive home? Do they really have to come live with us? There's such an inconvenience, and this isn't the stage in my life where I want to be taking care of somebody who's older. And, and it's no different today than it was back then. What they would do is they would, they would come and they would dedicate their money to the temple so that they would get their 10%, and then the scribes and the Pharisees would say, okay, well, we'll as long as you're going to guarantee us the 10%, we'll say the rest is dedicated in Corbin. It's dedicated unto the Lord. Nobody can touch it. So if anyone comes and asks for a handout, you just say, I'm sorry, but that's the temple's responsibility. I have dedicated it to the Lord. And, and granted, you know, when you're older, you, you have the wherewithal, if you've done it correctly, to be able to help your children. But there are times in life where something goes wrong or illness creeps in or there's tragedy. And, and you've got a loved one that doesn't have the ability at, at their older stages to, to be cared, to, to care for you. You need to care for them. And you go, you know, I got my money locked up in a 401k and we've really, we're, we don't have any liquid cash. There's not a lot I can do for you, mom, dad. Or maybe they're a step parent. You're like, that's not my problem. And, and, and the Lord's saying, you're violating the fifth commandment. And by the way, in violation of the fifth commandment, when he says it, that, that you would be put to death, let me just read to you how serious this is to God. Deuteronomy 21, if a man has a stubborn or rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and who when they have chastened him will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gates of the city, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious, and he will not obey our voice, and he is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of of his city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. I will tell you what, I know exactly how to deal with the kids. All you got to do is just put a rock on the mantle in your house. You're like... And by the way, if we apply Deuteronomy 21, and we were going to apply it this week, there would be nobody in church next week. We'd all be dead. We wouldn't have anyone left to stone the other person. Is God saying, take this and apply it to today's economy? No, this was directed towards the children of Israel. The the punitive action of it was for a dedicated group of people in the economy of God's grace, and we're not under the law of sin and death. We've been set, set free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law applies in the concept of grace. Now, there are those who have this idea of theonomy that believe that we have to reinstate the Mosaic law. That, that, that couldn't be further from the truth, and the scripture points that out. But the principles that govern are necessary in culture today. The punitive actions as far as failing to honor those are not as heavy as they were in the Old Testament. So, for example, and this is one of the people that nailed it was John Calvin and his institutes. This guy was brilliant, and he was used in the Protestant Reformation to bring what we have today, which is a constitutional republic. He was used of the Lord to define civil government from the precepts of applied theonomy, God's law in civil government that transformed the world as we know it and gave us, for, for since 1776, you do the math, a constitutional republic that has enjoyed more freedom than any other nation on the face of the earth and more wealth and more invention and more everything. And John Calvin, when he looked at it, he pointed out, he said, however, it is noticed that, uh, Calvin says, he appeals to common grace by which we mean non-redemptive grace as the basis for the universal validity of the moral aspect of the law. 
So what he's saying is there's non-redemptive grace, and this is this idea of common grace. This this Mosaic law was applied to a covenant people. Non-redemptive grace is the idea that the law of God is a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. So how do we implement it so that, that the civil world can see that there are absolutes that we must be governed by God? Calvin had a more biblically balanced view of the relationship between church and state where this is what one author writes. He says, where possible, it is to influence society and the state with a Christian interpretation and application of the law. While natural law might well go a long way in enabling the state to perform its duties properly to the divine mandate, man's fallen condition is constantly present to complicate and corrupt the process of lawmaking and law enforcement. So we, we look at the law and we go, well, I don't, want, I don't want this whole Christian thing. Let's remove God from the edifices of our building, the Ten Commandments and the standard of law through Western civilization, Judeo-Christian ethic. Just remove it. And, we, and, and, and this is the idea of a progressive movement. Take religion completely out of it. Okay. And, and let's implement a progressive movement, whether it be socialism or communism or whatever it is. And in socialism, which is a violation of the Tenth and the Eighth Commandment, we're going to apply that and we're going to run to it. So where you had the fourth greatest economy in the Western Hemisphere and the number one economy, the number one nation in South America, Venezuela, socialism comes in, violation of the 10th and the 8th commandment, and they begin to take from the rich and give to the poor, and they begin to nationalize all of the private businesses, and they begin to disperse the wealth and do wealth distribution, redistribution, and what happens? Their people are starving, they, they sit on 18% of the, of, the, of the world's oil reserves and they're starving. They've gone into a proverbial ditch. Because if you're going to take from somebody who's earned it to give to somebody who hasn't, that person doesn't want to work anymore. It's a violation of the clarity. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. This is the application of civil law that God wants us to do. Now, you know, how do you implement the, the disciplinary aspects of it? Calvin points out, and these are some, some writings that, that have been interpreted of his, the problems of lawlessness in our society today stem not so much from the lack of enforcement of the penal sanctions of the Mosaic Law Code as from the state's lack of a recognition and consistent enforcement of the equities of justice known in God's word. Here is where God's people individually and collectively must fulfill their prophetic role of being a, a, a proper leavening influence in society. They have the light of scripture which informs them of the proper way by which the law is to be applied. Have no debt but to love. If you want to do this, go ask a bank manager of any bank in the city and say, who are the wealthiest people in our community? And he'll say, I can't tell you their names. Just tell me if if they represent a group of people and I'll tell you who they'll say. The Mormons. They carry no debt. They tithe. They apply the law of God. They don't know the Christology. They don't know Christ like we do. They don't know salvation by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works of any man should boast. They don't know that, but they apply the law of God and they flourish. And yet we look at the body of Christ and not only do we not grasp tithing, we don't grasp being debt free. And what comes with that? We don't have the idea of planting trees of whose shade we'll never see and a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Our, our, our eschatology, our traditions of men have negated all of that. When Jesus said, occupy until I come, it's negated it because we just look at it and go, oh, why bother? Because we're just polishing brass on the Titanic. We're all going to hell in a handbag. We're going to get raptured before it's over. Why invest in the future? Well, you don't know the day or the hour. And for over 2,000 years, everybody thought of Christ's soon return. 
There's work to be done, and you don't use that to apply apathy. Your eschatology is a tradition of men to apply apathy instead of engaging in the culture. And so we don't affect culture. We don't have any ability to to create laws that protect private property. A 12-cent gas tax just passed. Nobody said boo. They're about to make us a sanctuary state. Nobody said boo. No-fault divorce came in 1970. No pastor said boo. We we, We just don't see the application of any of this, yet Christ is saying you have made the commandment of God of no effect because of your traditions. Of no effect. Finally, in this connection, Christians might do well to promote the reinstitution of capital punishment for incorrigible offenders, together with making more of the biblical principle of restitution rather than the alternative of incarceration, with which, with its overcrowded prisons and failed programs of rehabilitation, restore the criminal to society where they repeat the crime against the innocent, recidivism. And what's fascinating is if you take Christian principles of, of reconciliation and, and you take Christian p- principles of, of, of restitution, where they have to pay the penalty, they see the consequences of their actions, it transforms a prison culture. Do a study on Angola prison in Louisiana. Angola prison had the highest murder rate of any prison in the United States, and the warden decided to set up a seminary to teach them, the inmates, and they began to start to study the scriptures, see theonomy, apply theonomy. They began to apply it in, in the prison. They started planting churches in each of the different wards of the prison. And now you can walk through Angola prison with lifers that have committed heinous crimes. And you can walk through and not fear for your life. There hasn't been a murder there since forever. Long time. And I shared the story with you that I was, I was at the governor's mansion in Louisiana. I had the privilege to have dinner with Bobby Jindal and his wife. My wife and I were there. Inmates from Angola prison, lifers, were serving us dinner. And they were going in and out of the kitchen where there were meat cleavers and knives and everything else you can imagine. And they come out and they go to serve you. And as their arm would extend and their sleeve would move up, you just see tats. And they were in their neck, Tattoos. And they had the joy of the Lord and happiness. And they're just, they're, they're, they're realizing I may be here for life, but I am making a, a sincere difference. And when Dennis Prager walked through Angola prison, he came out and everyone said, what'd you think of it? His response was, it makes me angry. And I go, why? He goes, because basically we have the cure to cancer, but because it's Christian, we don't allow it. Why don't we allow it? Because people who make those decisions aren't Christians. Why? Because we've taken the traditions of man to to justify our apathy. We create an eschatology to, to justify our apathy. We don't engage. And yet we, we watch the transformative power of the gospel in a prison that can be reflected anywhere in the world, but we don't do it. And Jesus just simply looks and he says, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your traditions. You, 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 are, you are focused on the, the absolute wrong thing. You don't even see the miracle of what's happening in Angola. You, you, you want to just sit and pick fly poop out of pepper about your eschatology to justify your apathy. And, and, and the Lord is just, this isn't going to cut it. And people say, well, the law of God, and this is where they bring the tradition. Well, we're not under the law. Amen. 
It doesn't mean the law's negated. Jesus said, I didn't come to negate the law, but to fulfill it. Yeah, but we're not under the law, right? We're under grace. We've been set free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I agree with you wholeheartedly, but that doesn't mean the law goes away. We're saved by grace through faith, not by the observation of the law. The law is a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. And because we're saved, we now, by the spirit of God, have the ability to honor the law. And in honoring the law, we transform culture. But we create traditions to avoid that so we can emphasize our apathy. We don't want confrontation. Paul says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. When the law is established, people realize I'm doing something wrong. And, and actually the scripture says that, that every man is without excuse. But when we emphasize it and people see it, they go, I want to do the right thing, but I can't. What do I do? Christ is the answer. And thus you see these, these inmates in Angola prison going, I want that. Romans 6, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. We have the ability to continue and, and fulfill the law out of a willingness, but even when we fail, it doesn't negate our salvation because we're saved by grace through faith. But God gives us a heart to want to see that law implemented because it brings freedom. Romans 8 says, there's now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life of Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Paul writes in Galatians 3, for as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. What he's saying is, if you think salvation comes in observing the law, you're done. But you're saved by grace through faith. You've overcome the law of sin and death. But now you get to observe the law in the spirit of Christ for the purpose of preservation of mankind and to allow others to see Christ because they see sin and are made aware of their sin because they see the law. And the law is good for that reason. What purpose, Paul says in Galatians, does the law serve? It was added because of transgression. And he goes on to point out that it's a schoolmaster that drives us to Christ. And so when Jesus looks at them and he says, you violated the fifth commandment. You've made the commandment of God of no effect because you've, you've written in something to protect your tradition and your tradition has been established to, to justify your apathy. And that's what tradition does. You know, when you preach at Calvary Chapel, you've got to wear a Hawaiian shirt. Says who? And, and you know, we can only have an organ and, and, and no piano, or we can have a piano and no organ, and there's no syncopated rhythms. Where is that in the scriptures? A church can only have hymns. What? You can only have Maranatha music, and, and hymns are, are what? Well, what? Jesus makes it very clear. He just looks and he says to everyone who applies their traditions to justify their apathy, here's what he says hypocrites. I mean, what effect has the church had on culture? But we have dialed in every one of our pet doctrines. 
Where are the 15,000 that have been fed and the countless who have been healed? Where are the governments that have been transformed? Where are the Angola prisons in California? We, south of Van Nuys, there's 350 Calvary chapels. And we still lead the nation in abortion. I'm, I'm baffled. How, how do you transform a culture? How do you apply the law of God if people aren't willing to engage? Well, politics is dirty, so is the church. I'm tired of voting for the lesser of two evils. Well, unless Jesus Christ is running for office, you'll always be voting for the lesser of two evils. I mean, how many, how many excuses do you want to give me? How long are we going to do this? We are called to be the salt of the earth. If salt loses its flavor, it's thrown out, trampled underfoot, good for nothing. We are a polis, a city on a hill, a governing structure. We change the world. We're not a subculture. We're a counterculture. And Jesus said, Isaiah prophesied correctly when he said, these people draw near to me with their mouth. They know how to sing. And they got the music down, whether it's hymns or maranatha or contemporary music or syncopated rhythms or organs. They know how to sing. And they honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. They have made the law of God of no effect. The commandment of God of no effect. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We rather buy into it than establish it. And it goes off into a ditch and people starve and are killed. And when he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. It's not what you're eating or if your hands are clean that defiles you. It doesn't matter if you use Purell or dial soap or, or if you use a, a hand blow dryer or paper towels. It doesn't matter if you eat bacon. It doesn't matter what you're eating. That's not defiling you. What goes in your mouth is what comes out of your mouth because from the overflow of a man's heart comes his words. He says to, to, in verse 12, then his disciples came and said to him, after he says this, they come and say to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? You have, you, you basically, Jesus took a baseball bat, walked up to a hornet's nest and you whack that sucker and they are everywhere. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, when you do that, people get upset. They don't like to be given rules. They don't like to be told that they're accountable to God. There's going to be conflict and struggle. Do you realize you've upset the Pharisees? Do you realize you've done that? Can't you just dial it down so that we can manage the decline of the church and the last one turn off the lights? as Western civilization disappears because we don't engage the culture and we nullify the commandments of God by the traditions of men just to protect ourselves and our apathy? Can't we just do that? They're offended. Can't we just dial it down? And Jesus answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. And anyone you've ever done weeding and you go by with a weed, wire, you're like, hey, all done. Next rain comes. You wasted your time. You got to go in, pull them up by the roots, pull them up by the roots, pull them up by the roots. We go back to the parable of the soils. The way you take the shallow soil and the, and the rocky soil and the weed choke soil and make it fertile soil where it has a 30, 60, 100 fold return is you plow it and you weed it. That's our job. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We till the ground. We scatter the seed. The commandment of the Lord on the ground that we've tilled. The commandment of the Lord on the ground that we've tilled. The commandment of the Lord on the ground that we've tilled. And then the return comes. Jesus said, those guys that you're worried about, leave them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. You look at the ash heap of history, and it's filled with failed governments that are heteronomy, different than what God requires, and they are all in the ash heap of history, and Venezuela is about to be there. And we're crying out in our country and educating our children to embrace that system of government that is contrary to the commandments of God, but we can't even list the commandments of God because our traditions have justified our apathy. And we have a nation and generations to come that need to be protected. And if we don't, we're going to fall into a ditch. And Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. And that's kind of how I felt when I first read. I'm like, man, Lord, this is heavy. I don't know if it's a parable or a story or what is this? And I love Peter. He's like, tell uh, tell the parable? He's like, wrong, not a parable. Are you still without understanding? Hello? He didn't mock him. But he says, do you not yet understand that whatever enters a mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? What's hard about that? It's biology. You eat it and you go to the bathroom. It just, and the body processes it. And it doesn't matter if you're eating pork or you're eating, you know, gluten or what it might affect you if you're, you know, got those issues. But you eat it and, and, and your body processes it and turns it into muscle and, in my case, fat, and then you do all that stuff. And he says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. At the heart of every issue is an issue of the heart. He said, let me cut to the chase but the things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile a man for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. My wife every morning has a cup of tea. I hate tea. She loves tea and it's a whole procedure she goes through and she, she's got the exact kind that she likes and she puts a bag in the water and then it dissipates and then she knows exactly what color and why it's doing. She's spinning and she's got the little vanilla she puts in the, little, the frother and she's got her soy milk because, you know, and pours that in and it's perfect combination. She sips it and enjoys her morning with her cup of tea. And, and, and if that tea bag, if she put it in, it was just filled with manure, go and be like, because what's in it when it's put in hot water is what comes out of it. She's got lovely tea and it smells good. That's a Christian. When you put us in hot water, what comes out? Well, I drink because I'm Irish. No, you drink because you're disobedient. I, I get angry. The commandment of thou sh- the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Be not drunk of wine, but of the Holy Spirit. I drink because I'm Irish. No, you drink because you're violating the commandment. Oh, I get angry because I'm Italian. No, you get angry because you don't have a control over your temper because you're not in submission to the Lord. That this is what's coming out. This is the overflow of a man's heart comes as words. And I was getting a kick out of Harry Grotty when they were doing the, his memorial service. He, he, at four o'clock, he'd always go over to his neighbor's house and knock on the door to watch Fox News because he wasn't allowed to cuss at home. 
for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Now watch this. Murders. He goes through it. He goes, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witnesses, blasphemies. Everything that's listed here is one of the Ten Commandments. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat unwashed hands does not defile a man. I don't care about your traditions. Don't take your traditions to negate and make of no value the commandments of God. Come into submission to what I want for your life. You're saved by grace through faith. You're not saved by observation of law, but because you're saved, I want to set you free and have a life of abundance by observing these commandments, both personally and civilly. Could you imagine if we taught the Ten Commandments in our schools? What would happen? And yet we don't even know what they are. Learn them. Live them. Apply them. And don't give me, what's the point? We're all going to get raptured and the church is going to hell in a handbag. Okay. So your traditions have now nullified the commandments of God. And one word for that, hypocrite. Not mine, his. But you see, all of us get it. I have to tell you something. I'm ready to go home just as much as you are. Trust me but I have never felt more free and blessed in all my life. 52 years on this earth, almost 53, 27 years of marriage. When I paid the final penny, I don't owe a dime to anybody. For people who have labored with me and seen my spending habits and have taken me out of the ditch that I drove into countless times, they know that that is a miracle of God. And I can tell you as I stand before you, It's a great place to be. I would say for all of you, get out of the ditch. Forget what is behind. Strive for what is ahead. Apply the law to your life and let it affect your civic community because we will engage with that truth and watch what it does for the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good? Let's have the worship team come on up. And we're going to pray. And what we're going to do is we'll have a time of prayer as well after I finish praying. I'm going to have the prayer team come up. Look, you got some sort of ditch you've run into? Come up and have them pray with you. And the coolest thing is if you're having financial issues, we will immediately connect you into a program to start you on a path to financial freedom. We'll put you on a path to work through any issue you're facing. You have relational issues and you're driving into a ditch and your secular counselor with the traditions of men is saying, you know what? You need to go find yourself divorce. Let's come and see what God says about divorce. Let's see how God brings a marriage together. Let's see what intimacy is in accordance with God's word. Let's start applying this to our lives and watch what it does to our community. And it begins with prayer. Just submitting yourself to the Lord. You can sing. But if your heart's not there, your, your heart is far from it. Don't, don't use your traditions to justify your apathy. Put feet to your faith and come and pray. Join with me now. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the way in which you confronted the scribes and the Pharisees and the traditions of men to say, you've made the commandment of God of no effect because of your traditions and you're justifying your apathy. And I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. I, I know how to create a society where people will flourish. Trust me. Apply these truths and watch as your children have a future and your grandchildren have a future. 
But don't steal from their future to pay for your present. A righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Have no debt but to love. Honor your mother and father. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't bear false witness. And so, Lord, thank you. These commandments aren't burdensome. They're precious. And we want them to permeate our lives and our community. So help us, Lord. Spirit living God, fall afresh on us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We don't observe the law to be saved, but by your spirit, we observe the law because we are saved. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.